It's a defining moment for me because um, it was the, it was the day that I became who I wanted to be. I was brought up in quite humble beginnings, a uh, council estate um, in Brighton. I didn't know my dad for the first 25 years of my life. Probably especially my nan taught me how to bake at a very young age, so it was in the heart and the blood. So my mum married and my stepfather was quite abusive, so I had quite a difficult childhood after that. Mm. When I was about sort of 10 or 11, I immersed myself in baking, and that was my kind of escape, really. Mm. Food was, is always a part of my reason for being, really. It's in my DNA. We got to a point where I had a, a breakdown. Um, it was the 10th of October 2010. You always know the exact date when you are taken into hospital my mum said to me you need to change your life and I said I want to start a little bakery I just want to go back to basics nice little cottage industry go and just bake that's all I want to do so that's where Piglet's Pantry was formed what I would say is it's also given me strength and courage and the ability to always kind of look at things and think there's, there is a worst outcome, we've been there. <laughs> Nothing gets worse than trying to take your own life, that's pretty traumatic. But I try and go for a swim or do something for myself every single day, whether that's walking along the seafront with a nice hot cup of chocolate and just looking at the world and thinking how great it is to see the sea, stormy day or whatever it might be. It's just giving yourself that kind of permission to, to stop and breathe and just you know go, life's not that bad really, is it? Now I live and breathe it every day, so um, I get to do what I love every single day, which is, you know, I think the gift I gave myself 13 years ago. I love what I do. I love getting up every morning. I love creating new products. I love having a brief that comes on my door that nobody else can do and we achieve it. Um, it's certainly not for the money, absolutely not. See failure as a stepping stone to the success you're going to be. I'm on a mission to help the world to see success differently. For sharing the stories of our guests, I hope to inspire those that listen. This is the Different Hats podcast, produced by H2 Productions. I hope you can join us on this journey. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Nostos, an authentic experience of Greece right here in the heart of Hove. In a world brimming with dining options, finding that one place that captivates your palate and heart isn't always easy. It's about more than food. It's the stories, the ambience, the slice of another world. This is the essence of Nostos, an award-winning Greek restaurant. With traditional recipes passed down through generations, each dish promises a story and a piece of heritage. And Nostos is more than just a restaurant, it's a community contributor. Each dining experience supports initiatives close to their heart, from local charities to cultural events enriching Brighton and Hove's social fabric. They also provide catering services, bringing Greek cuisine to your personal events. For a taste of Greece without leaving town, visit nostos-hove.co.uk. And when you do go, say Sam recommended the Feta Nests. Oh my God, they are amazing. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest this week is Chief Food Lover at the fantastic award-winning handcrafted food producer Piglet's Pantry. Their clients include many Premier League football clubs, including a mighty Brighton and Hove, Albion FC, and have been endorsed by Paul Hollywood, Chris Evans and Mary Berry for the best pie at Carefest. I am delighted to welcome Joanna Hunter to the podcast. Joe, how are you? 
I'm very well, thank you, Sam. Nice to see you again. Amazing. Um, listen, I know we've gone back and forth a few times and I've been so excited about having you on. Um, we've spoke at different events about your journey and stuff and then I'm so glad that we're going to be able to share it with everyone today. Good to be here. It's going to be awesome. Right, we're going to start as always. Look, look everyone's story starts somewhere, right? So in, we're going to kick off with our life in 60 seconds, but tell me something about life growing up that's shaped the person that sits in front of me today. 60 seconds, right, okay. Um, I was brought up in quite humble beginnings, uh, council estate um, in Brighton. So uh, my family are actually originally from Lancashire though. Um, my mother and father are both from Lancashire, but my mum came down here and I didn't know my dad for the first 25 years of my life, um, which I found challenging and eventually went and sought him out. So a bit, a bit later in life when I was about 25. Um, so challenging childhood a beautiful childhood with my grandparents the first six years of my life were amazing my grandparents probably especially my nan taught me how to bake at a very young age so it was in the heart and the blood um she taught me how to make shoe buns from nothing um coming from a kind of war family um everything was kind of fairly scarce but she just magicked up this amazing kind of creations that just were wonderful i just remember sunday tea at my grandparents house just being this just big affair uh, and a high tea was just the highlight of the day sort of thing so great memories from my grandparents um sadly not so great after that because my mum married and my stepfather was quite abusive so i had quite difficult childhood after that mm. Um, growing up but the one thing I do sort of take from that is um, when I was about sort of 10 or 11 I immersed myself in baking and that was my kind of escape really both mm. at school and at home so I used to bake for, for for living really just just to kind of just to be alive and it was my kind of escape route so yes yeah, sort of bittersweet childhood yeah, um, yeah. tinged with difficulties that um, I spent a lifetime trying to forget I suppose but and still have to kind of battle with today. Well, thanks for sharing. I guess I'll be keen if you're okay to talk about that. Mm. I guess that period, and because I, I, like I say, for me, there is so much in what happens in our childhood and what happens in that yeah. that does shape like where we are and where maybe our drive and ambition comes mm. from and all them things. So just like I guess school life as well, and like you mentioned, obviously that abusive sort of relationship with with, with your stepfather, like. Just talk a little bit about that period sort of growing up, I guess. Yeah, I was bullied at school a little bit too. I went to an all-girls school, so I think because I was bullied at home, I was bullied at school, it was just tough, you know. There was just no real kind of... I mean, I had, you know, I had ice skating and roller skating and I had stuff that all children do, but going home was was hard. Um, And it took me a long time to be able to tell my mother what had been going on. So I spent from the ages of five or six when they married to the age of about... I think 12 or 13, you, when, you're, when you're abused as a child, you split off into two people. There's the abused child that kind of lives their life and then there's a bit of you that you save back for yourself to try mm. and protect yourself. Um, and that's the bit that um, when I went to counselling finally, my mum rang Childline actually. She spoke to the Esther Ransom Childline and got me some help. And I went for about three or four years of counselling in Maidstone. And that helped me get back to being one person and moving forward into my adult life as I am today so the Mrs Pig that you see today is the you know the culmination of lots of help and and, uh, lots of advice and just working through you know how you get from A to B and just you lock yourself away and so trying to move forward with that was um, 
was tricky. So mm. yeah, it wasn't an easy time. It was a difficult time. And you're saying at school as well, what was, what was school life like? You're saying about being bullied, but did you get on a lot at school or was it just that whole period? I kind of, I didn't like school much. I wasn't great at school. I, I mean, I was great. I was an A-class student. They wanted me all to do kind of academia, but mm. my mum fought for me to do food tech at school. It's called home economics back then. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little <laughs> bit older now. Um, but yeah, she fought for me to get the G, you know, the, the O-levels in food because that's what I wanted to do. And I was in a class um, at, at grammar school where you, you know, you were expected to go on to university and all of that. So my real kind of like turning point was when I went to Pelham Street College and, and learned and went and, and went straight into kind of catering. Mm. And I loved college. I think in comparison, contrast to school, um, catering and food was just everything I knew. It came from the heart. It was um, what, I, what I'd loved as a child, what I had brilliant memories of it. Mm. And I had some great friends and I had a great time. I mm. just, you know, I partied my way through college. I don't think I went to bed very <laughs> often. I think I got up and did, uh, being from quite a sort of humble background, we had to earn our money if we wanted to go out. Mm. So I went to the Grand and the Metropole and I set up and did waitressing in the morning for breakfast, went to college came back, did all the galas in the evening, waitress for those, did silver service waitressing, and then went out and partied and um, fell into bed for a few hours and started again. So my okay. my childhood, um, my, my teenage years were a lot better and having been able to tackle with my mum what had happened and eventually, obviously, they s I was able to live in my home again without my stepfather there, um, w was, was kind of, was then sort of switched around. It was like an opportunity to kind of rebirth, if you like, of, mm. of just actually doing something that I wanted to do and, and having a, a nicer environment at home helped that really. Yeah, amazing. And then what, I guess like, what, what led you to want to go and seek out, you mentioned about going and seeking out your father as well. Mm. And going, where, when did that sort of come up? I think it was always there. Mm. So when you are, um, my mum and father didn't decide they weren't going to get married and mum left and um, allegedly, it depends on who you ask, which parent you ask, <laughs> allegedly um, he didn't want to know. Um, and then latterly he said he did try and come and find me. My mum said that she has no knowledge of that. So we'll, we'll just agree to disagree, I think, yeah, on that yeah. one. Uh, I had a really, my mum had a really, really good friend who sadly died of cancer, but um, she was like my kind of, my auntie. And um, I spoke to her and she sought him out and wrote letters and she knew exactly where he was. They'd always known where he was, which is frustrating because I'd wanted to know a lot earlier. But I was pregnant with uh, my second child and when we first started writing to each other, um, but it's this kind of, I don't know, it's difficult to explain. When you've never um, known who your parents are, but mm. you know they're there, it's like that kind of, what, what are they like? You know, do they like red wine? Do they yeah. like baking? Apparently, yes to both of those. So it was that kind of, that nagging feeling of, I just need to know. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it works out or doesn't work out. Actually, that's not true because it didn't work out, sadly. But at the time, it was just this burning desire. Um, so we met and we spent two and a half years. I moved up there, which was my biggest mistake. Um, moved up there and we kind of just immersed ourselves in trying to fit in 25 years of life, which is exhausting for most people um, and hard for his wife. Mm. And his wife made him make a decision on whether it was his daughter or his relationship. Um, mm. So I haven't seen my father since then. I moved out of, back out of Blackburn and Lancashire, came back down here, which I wanted to do anyway, because I love the sea. Um, but yeah, it was rejection of the highest order, really. Yeah. Um, doesn't get much harder than that in relationships. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. Uh, 
But I did okay. find out he bakes and he had a bakery and he made pies and we worked together for a while. And I do know he likes red wine. <laughs> and we are in touch on Facebook at the moment. Um, there's lots of regret there. But for me, it's too difficult to reach out and have a proper relationship because I was too hurt. Do, do, are you open to that maybe in the future? Is that you? I'm talking to my sister. Uh, she said he could have handled it better and didn't handle it very well. Um, I don't know. I think, I think he would have to come and find me. Yeah. I've done all the running and the reaching out. I've, I'm ever going to do. I just think you know you get to a point in later life where you're just like you know it's time for someone else to do that that work yeah. now. And we'll yeah. see how that goes. And interesting with the bakery side of stuff as well. So mm. he, he, you say he had a bakery. Yeah, as well, he had a small. Small bakery and was feeding um, all the factory workers in a little place called Ozzle Twistle, which is just outside Accrington Stanley, mm. around that area. And every day people would come in and it needed a massive, like old bakery with old ovens. And they'd come in and they'd have pie mash peas and gravy or pie peas and gravy. And you know, he'd have this staunch following he did all the kind of local markets it was amazing mm. um and i was fascinated by that whole entrepreneurial idea of you know getting up and creating what you need to create to feed your family it was a nice for me it was a you know it's an interesting world that i hadn't been exposed to before um but not something that i got into till a lot longer after that yeah. so it's um but it's interesting it's but in, in both our blood i think the, yeah. the, the love for making food yeah like go back I guess to like school life and then coming out and getting into catering and, and mm. the different things that you did what what was the that was obviously your passion yes right? yeah and it was always gonna but but you did have a career in South marketing yeah. and different yeah. those what why did that happen what, what with the sales and marketing those type of roles what was it that you come away from catering a little yeah, bit yeah i did an apprenticeship straight out of um college so i did my my hnd got all my qualifications mm. and then i went on to do an apprenticeship with um then gardner merchants which is now i think sodex so uh worked at american express in the blue box and did all my training and um helped to run preston street for a while um but i was quite disillusioned in that part of the industry it was not what soldiers said i mean when you've been making everything from scratch and it's mm. all scratch bait what we call scratch baking which is kind of what we do now um it was not like that and contract catering is so different and mm. i just was a little disillusioned with that with the hours with the pay with the the whole piece of it really it wasn't really what i'd done my training for so it kind of fell out of it. I fell out of love with it for a little bit, and mostly by accident. I kind of went into doing some temp work into um, the medical insurance world at the mm. time. Completely left curve yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but doing a management uh, course at college means you can flex. So yeah, you've sure. got like I'm not going to do anything from accounting to speak basic French. So it it, it kind of goes with it. it's versatile. So it took me across to that. And um, I had two children, which again catering is tough when you've got kids. It's mm. it's difficult when they're young. And then I was a single mum. I got married and we got divorced well, five years later. So I had an 18 year old, 18 month and a three year old to look after. And I had to pay for everything, you know. There was um, there was a lot of pressure to go out and earn money and just survive, really. Mm. So I went through different jobs. Ultimately, sales marketing is good at earning money, and um, you know that's kind of what where I sort of stayed for a while uh, until the children were a lot older and um, off to university. And then you know time for time for me to reassess. Really, I think at that point. And, and was that in the back of your mind during that period? 
was there always was there an inkling that you one you're going to start your own business or was there i'm going to get back into baking or catering at some point was there always there's always food in my life <laughs> <laughs> i taught at lewis college for a while i taught food at lewis college for a while so i did that um my family and friends big parties always feeding people mm. food was is always a part of my reason for being really it's in my dna um so but to start my own business no um that came at a part in my life when um so it's going to get a bit more morbid now. I feel like this is a real downer for Christmas. But um, we get, uh, sorry guys. <laughs> um, we got to a point where I had a, a breakdown. Um, it was the 10th of October, 2010. You always know the exact date when you are taken into hospital for mm. um, for psychiatric reasons. And I had a complete, complete break in my life. Um, there was lots of reasons for it. I mean, stress, too much work, corporate, corporate life, um, overworking, um, not give myself a break, not not enough life work balance. My dad, lots of things, you know. It wasn't just one thing; it was pff, all of it. Mm. And uh, nobody was more surprised than me because I've n always been such a strong kind of everything will be all right. Let's just get on with it, you know. No matter how much it is or how bad it is, it will be okay. So to take that time, I was in hospital for ten days, and life just stops. You know, nothing happens when you go into a mental health hospital. Um, you've just got nothing but time to talk and figure out how the hell you got there. Mm. And for the first five days, I hadn't got a clue who I was, let alone why I was there. Um, and so I spent the next five days trying to figure out what I was going to do about that and talking to lots of people. And I sat in the gardens um, at Worthing Hospital, amazing people out there, by the way. Um, big shout out to them. I sat in the hospital. My mum said to me, you need to change your life. And I said, I want to start a little bakery just want to go back to basics nice little cottage industry go and just bake that's all I want to do so that's where Piggott's Pantry was formed and the name literally in that hospital is where we came up with it um, I borrowed the front of a restaurant in Shoreham I spent 300 pounds a month um, lovely people at be the beach house which it was that back then um, and and yeah that's what I was going to do three months renting no pressure sat there and baked 100 products a day with my son came up with different ideas every day that's that was going to be my, my my dream really wow joe i'm so grateful for you i think and i know the listeners will be as well just grateful for you your openness and honesty around that subject as well because i guess that knowing you in the short space of time i have I would describe you as that that strong character. Just you seem to I'm just get up and get on with it. I'm just mm. going to go. We've spoke offline about you know. Of course we've had challenges and faced with this, but I've come up with this and I'm going to do that. And you just someone. So I can't imagine being in that p position where, like you said, you're forced to stop and mm. and reassess. I guess where you are and d d looking back, I guess at that period was a culmination of all the things you've mentioned actually in this opening part of the mm. conversation is for anyone there's quite a lot of trauma to mm. go through divorce yeah. parents abuse that just a culmination of all those things you think building up to that that led to that point or I don't know I mean I tackled it for three and a half years of counselling so I'd like to say that I'd kind of put that to bed as such um but you know what i do now know is that that's a lovely rose-tinted glasses view of life right i'm going to do some counseling and then there it goes mm -hmm. it's all fine now um it never leaves you there's always 
it's always there it always will be there it's a part of the fabric of who I am what I would say is it's also given me strength and courage and the ability to always kind of look at things and think there's there is a worst outcome we've been there <laughs> we know what worse looks like worse wasn't pretty um so nothing can be worse than that that kind of that bubble that you sit in for 10 days that's that's worse nothing gets worse than trying to take your own life that's pretty traumatic um how you get there is just anyone can ha it can happen to anyone any day any time mm. you know you can wake up and not enough sleep not enough of anything not enough nourishment in your life and it can just hit you and I was always one of those people I don't understand how that people could do that make that decision I've got two beautiful children you know um you don't wake up and think like that. It just happens to you and you have to just deal with it. So um, I think my children have found it hardest and they find it hard to talk about. And I feel very sad about that because it's hard for me to talk about. But um, it does give you perspective. It gives you the ability to kind of look at life differently and just think, well, no matter how bad it gets, there's always you know another another route another pathway and that has given me the ability to grow piglet's pantry into what it is today i think because we take that i take that so if i have people around me in our current working space that have difficulties it's easy to spot and it's easy to try and help people and just say look go and get some help this is what you need to do this is what we you know we'll do this together so it does give you the ability to help others which i think is a gift that's come out of what's happened really mm -hmm. It's one. It's one of them that I, 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 I'm always, I'm always really keen to talk about this subject on here, and I'm, I actually preach quite a lot about asking for help and reaching out. Not always great at myself, to be honest. Not um, many people are. And I, um, I guess at that. Coming out of, of that situation where I guess you ha did have to ask for help and, mm. and you, you got that. Coming out where you are now, you mentioned obviously in work and stuff like that, you do, but uh, with the kids and stuff, are you, uh, are you like that? Would, do you ask for help now? Are you better at that now? I am better at it now. I've, um, I have a local support. Um, if I need to go and speak, I can go and just book it in. I just ring up and book in and just check myself in mm. just to do kind of like checks and make sure that you know the stress isn't too much mm. business isn't taking over too much um i have an amazing partner um who keeps me on track and won't let me be too negative he's probably the effervescence of overflowing um <laughs> positivity <laughs> and that is a real counter to sometimes when you are you know able to take yourself and because I've been I am generally I am a kind of like an overflowing person or a empty glass there's nothing mm. in between so um, my partner is very good at keeping me alive and awake that sounds awful but alive and awake and you mm. know vibrant and positive positive which is good um, because we all need that in our lives so um, I think I'm lucky my family also they treat me a little bit like broken glass sometimes but um, I think they have learned to accept that even though Piglets has grown into this massive brand 
um, my mum sort of still checks in with me lots, but she has accepted that the work I do today, even though it is stressful, is not the same stress as it used to be before when I wasn't working for myself. Mm. So when you work for yourself, I take myself to the gym every day whenever I can. I sometimes I miss it, but I try and go for a swim or do something for myself every single day, whether that's walking along seafront with a nice hot cup of chocolate and just looking at the world and thinking how great it is to see the sea stormy day or whatever it might be it's just giving yourself that kind of permission to, to stop and breathe and just mm. you know go life's not that bad really is it so I, I, I guess as you you have mentioned when you get to that those the darkest place you can mm. and oh, would you say that's rock bottom where you were and then everything else like you said from then nothing can be as bad as that I've already hit rock bottom yeah so nothing's as bad as that so it enables you gives you the skills and the strength to be able to deal with challenges that are thrown thrown at you from business or life in general yeah I think so I think um you do I mean it, there's still stresses and you know like I'm human right um but yes when I think back you know that was how many years 13 14 however many years 13 years ago mm. now um our pivots has been in business now um i look back and think wow where did those 13 years go and it's just been phenomenally fast um i think you know you 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 look back and there is always that on 10th of october there is always that and i try and encourage everybody to sort of like give themselves a gift you know even if it's an imaginary one you, you stick something in a box, you open it, and you go, that's for me, that's what I've done today. And it could be anything, you know, it depends what floats your boat. But um, I think it's really important, especially entrepreneurs, because we are so busy trying to build our empires and our worlds and f and look after all these lovely people that we employ that we forget sometimes to just take that moment and just go, well done, you're mm. doing okay, you know. So every year I do try and mark that memory because it was a difficult time for me. So... Mm. Um, I have to remind myself of where I've come and how I got there. And mm. yeah, I think that's, you know, it's true. After that, everything, there was like before piglets and after piglets. <laughs> yeah. And piglets being the continuity that has given me the ability to blossom and become somebody else. Um, somebody that's always there, but probably should have started a lot sooner doing this mm. and, you know, kept that passion of what I love, which is food. Um, but now I've sort of now I live and breathe it every day so um, I get to do what I love every single day which is you know I think the gift I gave myself 13 yeah. years ago wow I mean it's just such an it's such an inspiring story to to listen to to come from come from that place and start something that you have brave it's bonkers <laughs> <laughs> so so much, but just strength like that. Mm. That that's what I oh, just listen to you talking. I'm in awe really of hearing that story and just thinking, oh, trying to put my head in that place of going, what must it be like to have been in that position? But then actually to come out of that, and like you said, come up with that name and and, and start a business. And here we are, sitting here 13 years later. Mm. What an absolutely incredible! Like, just like you said, as a proud moment or uh, just a sign of reflection to sit and just acknowledge what an mm. incredible incredible journey that's been it's a defining moment for me because um it was a, it was the day that i became who i wanted to be and we spent a lot of time 
never knowing really what we want to do in life. I mean, I'd been in and out of all sorts of different jobs and, you know, I've worn different hats. Um, <laughs> um, ironically, none of them were the ones that fitted. Um, and I think, you know, this one fits. It feels good. It, it, it feels like who I was meant to be. Um, feel like this was your destiny. Yeah, I do. Feel, yeah, exactly that. It sounds a bit cheesy, but yeah, I do feel like it was mm. my destiny. Um, and I think everything after that has just been a series of circumstances that have just fallen into place. I mean, Piglets was supposed to be a little tiny cottage industry. Two weeks after opening, I'm up at Brighton pitching, you know, pies, for goodness sake. I mean, you know, did I not learn anything, really? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think everything, you, you know, you, they say right time, right conversation, all of that sort of stuff. But it is like that. I mean, every day is, since then, has been a series of events that have led Piglets to be where it is now, really. Mm. Um, but all of those are conversations. Um, you know, the conversation that led us to get that first inquiry that then meant that we could snowball from there has just been a series of different discussions and conversations. And I think because I do speak from the heart and I am passionate about food and about feeding people, I think it's um, that's, that's why it's been so successful. Okay, I'm just gonna say something about one of our sponsors, Rivervale. The world of cars, vans and minibuses is often a pain point for many of us. The hassle of finding the right vehicle, let alone looking after it, are all more things to add to our lists as busy people. Rivervale's mission is to make motoring manageable, and that's why they provide leasing, purchasing, servicing, and vehicle management. So whether you have one family car or a fleet of vans for your business, Rivervale are your trusted vehicle supplier. Visit www.rivervale.co.uk. Okay, let's jump back to the podcast. It's incredible. I mean... I'm really keen to just go like that. that you, you come out and you come up with the idea and you go, so the initial thing was never to grow it to the no. size it is. It's just, no. I'm going to get back into baking. I love food. Let's just start a little. Yep. Bakery. And then, and you, you, you I blame my children. They needed season tickets. <laughs> you know, if I hadn't have gone to do that, it wouldn't have been. It's all their fault, was really. Was how quick it was? To a couple of weeks? It wasn't up. two weeks, no. So what happened was we went up, two weeks after we'd started the business mm. we went up and my son my youngest son was his 18th birthday coming up and I said I'd buy a ticket first season ticket so it's a defining moment my children have been fans since they were tiny yeah. um, so they were all very excited we're all sitting in North Stand all had to sit together and I was the only person apparently that wasn't able to take time was able to take time off work so my own business because yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how it works apparently yeah, um and the american express card so i can go off and do that um so i went up there to help them get all their seats together and i was blown away by the stadium i have to mm. be honest and i've always followed never used to go to the football with the boys then but i've always followed brighton my grandfather was a brighton fan my cousin was a brighton still is a brighton fan yeah. um i wasn't allowed to go to the 1983 um, cup game. I was very upset about that. <laughs> Apparently, it was deemed too dangerous. So, um, subsequently, I have been to the mall so, <laughs> and sent pictures to my cousin who couldn't make it. So, that was good. Um, but uh, yeah, I, we, we were up there and we were just chatting to. Um, uh, to the guys up there and I was asking you know what does community stadium mean to you that's such a big question but mm. are you going to be using community like you know people in the community food in the community how's it going to work you know what what does the stadium look like um 
and they turn around and I remember Richard Hever said to me you don't make a good pie do you because uh, I told him what we did and I was like surely you sort your pies out you know I mean the stadium was you know in progress they hadn't got l- that long at the time they hadn't got that long um, but apparently no they'd had a I won't tell you who they are because it's not fair but a yeah. competitor in uh, the building the day before and they'd ended up in the bin and I was just horrified I just remember thinking the boys haven't walked up and down these streets to get this stadium we haven't fought this hard to get where we are for you to be just having some substandard product in here and they're not going to be eating that because I'm not going to allow them to eat that and so we got chatting and he said to me well if you design some pies for me I'll buy them um, and you know when you have a conversation you're like oh you know I had these I think I made my cards on one of the online websites you know <laughs> that you could just get them for like 20 pound or something I mean, they didn't look particularly professional and I'm like so I'm giving this I have a, a borrowed front of the restaurant no way am I ever mass producing anything from that but the whole of that period we were running up and down to Withdean met Martin Perry got to know everybody really well um, and they kept asking for samples they had no food going on up there so I was dropping in samples and uh, they did 100 pies around the country, I, I believe. Um, Elliot, who was the general catering manager at the time, we're now very good friends. Um, he said, you know, we've got a challenge, you know, we need to get it in at the right price, but as always, price is a, you know, a, a factor in catering. Um, but we can't get the product we want. So we had a challenge. Um, so it came down to three local companies, myself, it was Hickory's and Four Fires at the time. And we all did our big pitch and I took more than I, I wanted to. Some of the products we've bought in today, we bought brownies and cakes and scones and, and all the pies and I had them all like sectioned out. I had Mr. Bloom's pies because there was dietary requirements for that and that's all that was going into the boardroom and then I had the four pies that we started off and won awards at Brighton Have Albion. Um, and we'd pick them all apart in my kitchen at home. We'd spent hours and weeks pouring over it, me and my son. And um, yeah, we uh, we won the gig, as they say, um, but no production site. So we came up with my midnight euphoria, as you do when you're in bed thinking about stuff. And um, I said, well, look, Elliot, you know, you can leverage the costs. We'll come in with a management fee and we'll make the products at Brighton. And we'll be the first company to work together to do that. Um, PR went mental um, Sky came in and we were on Meridian local news I think all the radio stations around Sussex were chatting about we were dropping hot pies in great PR um, fantastic PR from Brighton and um, natural PR they were brilliant um, and it just went absolutely bananas so we opened up the first I remember the Tottenham game I remember the goosebumps and the feeling mm-hmm. walking in and I haven't even like I wasn't as invested as some people have been at that stage but I just remember thinking god you know everyone's crying I mean I was a bit tearful and it was just an amazing day but um, within 10 minutes our pies had sold out um, so it's not really what you want as an opening gambit uh, so Martin came down and said, Joe, you're going to have to make double, you're going to have to make double. At this point, we had a very small team. We were the first people to cook there. We were hand crimping every product. We were hand making every product, literally no machinery, really. Um, so we made 5,000 pies and they were everywhere in the stadium. I mean, you know, they were in all the fridges and we were trying to bake them to order. It just, it was a tall task. We were only supposed to do 2,000 and that was kind of achievable. 5,000 seemed like a mission. Um, and we still didn't hit kickoff and it was like got to seven seven and a half thousand pies and um, Elliot's like you're gonna have to leave site Joe we just literally don't have the capabilities of the I mean, I think the head chef had a meltdown you know you, you need to go and find some premises this is just not going to work so in three days we had to find premises 
get it set up, get it audited, and produce 10,000 pies for the next game. So we didn't have any sleep for three days. Um, but we, we hit our challenges, we met the challenges, we got premises locally, I had loads of help. The, um, the university, Sussex University, were really helpful in terms of equipment and support, and everybody pulled together locally. Everyone knows everybody in the catering industry here. And I got some, you know, some really good friends from that, and um, we we set it up and we managed to achieve our goals. So, and I think I suppose a testament is 13 years later that that last match I saw our new head chef in there, Adam's brilliant, um, and he was like, oh my God, so many pies, Joe," <laughs> and it's still, you know, it's a bumper order last match, and they're still how, how many? How many? Oh, I, I think sausage rolls are going well now, so they're, they're very popular at the moment. So. Um, I think across the board they take you know um, stuff for hospitality they take it downstairs and upstairs and originally they were never going to sell pies and hospitality but because Mm. everyone was trying to get them from their friends in retail and passing them up they were like you know we have to put them everywhere so it's one of those fantastic sort of partnerships where um, Brighton is the fabric of piglets and piglets feels like it's the fabric of Brighton you know Mm. we feel like it is a proper kind of feeling same with Harvey's really it's it's what you do on match day people ask me what the guest pie is still what they can expect when they get there they have opinions on everything they have their favorites um we still sell the same amount today which is mad really I mean there's not many there's not many clubs that would support a local company like that for 13 years never mind you know flourish Mm -hmm. as well as we have so it's been a journey for both of us um, and one that puts on the map you know when we say we were born at the Amex we literally were that's the first pies we ever made were at the Amex so I remember my children going up to the boardroom where where everyone was going to be sitting and looking out and being like so excited you know and just like you know look where we look what we're doing sort of thing look what we're building but it was tough I mean those Mm -hmm. first three years was tough because you don't really want 85% of your business in one area um, we were working with catering companies, not the clubs, so that was that was tricky. Um, and every time you get a new catering company, you have to resell the dream. So people, every time you get a new head chef, you have to resell the dream because people don't understand why why we've got so many pies here. Why does it? Why is everybody buying all of the Piglet's Pantry products? Because the fans have grown up through that whole stadium of it, and it's what they do on match day. So um, I'm very grateful to all of them, every single one, because they made Piglet's who we are today. Wow, wow! I mean, just what a what an incredible, what an incredible! I mean, uh, there's so many things actually. <laughs> right. So, firstly, tell me that that moment you get that call to go, yeah, we're going to go with Piglet. What 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 happens here? What goes on? Is uh, it euphoric? Is it shit? <laughs> we got to deliver. Always on euphoric. I. I don't know whether, because of where I've come from, you've obviously heard my story there. I, I don't know if it's just bonkers or whatever, but I've always been I've always been like this. So I've always been a person that thinks, right, okay, um, we'll get it and then we'll work out how we deal with it. <laughs> and to my detriment usually, but because uh, I then have to then figure it out and it's usually painful. But um, I've never been somebody that thinks I can't do that. Mm. It's just not in my DNA to say the word can't really. I've always been like, yeah, we can do that. We just got to figure out how. It's just you know, we just got to put the, 
the method in behind it to figure out how we get from A to B and sometimes it can be a painful journey and no sleep for three days wasn't fun but and hand crimping 10,000 pies is definitely not fun (laughs) I can assure you and trying to teach that impossible so obviously we had to fill in the gaps around it but it was never a question that I wasn't going to deliver and it was never a question that we weren't we were going to let the fans down at Brighton have Albion it's never going to happen no matter what happens we were going to deliver that and that that kind of sense of you know um just not letting people down I suppose but also just you know it's a challenge I love a challenge Mm. I think that's probably what I have learned about that whole journey is that that's what makes me tick I love a challenge I love being able to fix problems and I love being able to give people solutions however mad they might seem at the time um I did it for because as it says on our strap line for the love of food really I wanted better pies at Brighton Have Albion than they were being offered so that was my goal tick the box (laughs) I think Martin was saying um can't have too much gravy down the shirt so the viscosity of the sauce had to be worked on so that's take that took a while but um yeah i mean we achieved our goal and some so yeah again i'm just trying to piece that that piece together where you you go from where you 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 were to that initial idea to the belief that you can deliver something (laughs) on that magnitude like that just from a mindset point of view i guess pulling yourself out of that dark place it's about a really really dark place to to what's going to get me out is my love of baking and I'm going to start something small here to go in I'm going to deliver 10,000 pies (laughs) to the MX not just that that self-belief and so where does that where did that come from that I don't know it's just there I think it's a difficult one to answer um I think um, I've always had strength. When you've when you've been through a lot, um, especially as a young person going through quite a lot of challenges, nothing is as bad as that. I mean, that was a pretty traumatic childhood for for me. Um, so I think the strength you draw on is the same strength you draw on for the rest of your life. It gives you that that platform to, to dig deep to uh, find resources you didn't think you had because you've had to do that. So it's say learn behavior sadly but it is part of my my makeup that I don't take don't don't take things lying down and I will just get up and make it happen no matter what it might be or no matter what the challenge might be so I think um, it comes as I say out of the face of adversity comes success and I think you just have to learn to tap into that and do something beautiful with it because then something beautiful it was worth it in, in that sense, you know. So something beautiful came from something that wasn't wasn't a good thing, but is now a beautiful story and um, one that we hope is only the start of the journey, really. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, you mentioned there as well that that those early first few years, the f- challenges that mm. you, you faced. We jumped in now and, and talked about some of those I guess some of those challenges that you face and over the I guess the last 13 years where, where does Covid jump into that as yeah. well but talk, talk to me about them early stages as well like some of the challenges yeah so the early stages so when you deal with big contract caterers it's all generally it's all about the costs and you have big procurement people that hammer down pricing because that's their jobs to do mm. that and that's kind of you know that is the world we, we are in food mm. unfortunately and it's, I think it's just 
I think also it's a British thing as well that everyone doesn't pay as much for food as perhaps they should. So I kind of butt the trend a little bit with the whole Brighton pies and, you know, you're going to pay a little bit more, but it's going to be a better quality product and that's the reason for doing it. Um, but it took a long time to convince the rest of the world that that was a good idea. Brighton bought into it, mm. but it took us a while to convince other people. And luckily, Elliot moved and went into the Kia Oval and moved on from there and then spread the word, which was you know brilliant for me because that mean, meant other chefs could come and have a look and go, yeah, we want some of that. Mm. Um, so we've had to fill in the gaps. So you've gone from like 100 products to 10,000. And then, you know, most companies grow <laughs> a little <laughs> bit, not like a whole new empire overnight. <laughs> Um, so we had to fill in those gaps and um, again going back to my partner Steve um, he was amazing he was synonymous in saying you need to do this and we need to do this quickly because otherwise you know you're going to lose the company and and we were we had a couple of moments where that was a possibility um more than a couple actually over the 13 years you know it happens to most companies they go through difficulties um but what was what Steve did was he he got us out on a platform and, and talked to as many people as he could and joined the company and helped us to grow that story and take it out to the rest of the world. So pre-COVID, we were in about 70 or 80, you know, but really huge, big businesses. They weren't small, the, you know, all the companies, <laughs> because obviously that's how we started, yeah. were all very similar. So lots of stadiums, lots of events, lots of, you know, big big corporate um so i guess once you've got bright and that blueprint is yeah hard, it's easier to go and get another people kind of like the story as well yeah, they wanted course. a piece of that story you know they wanted to bring that to their club they wanted to kind of offer that unique service offer mm. something different we were going into different places so leicester cricket uh, leicester football club have you know the biggest sales in red leicester sausage rolls it was like we took what we did at brighton with the harveys and the steak and kind of feeling of local ingredients mm. and having that T and we took that and we put that blueprint into other places and said right well you have something that you could also do something good with so let's just try that so um, between innovation which is at the heart of what we do and um, new product design which is what we do really well and and small batches of that um, we, we hit on something that was a good blueprint for everybody else. And so we're now very synonymous with being able to deliver something that probably nobody else wants to touch because mm. most large companies that are producing num volumes, especially in the tens of thousands and things, um, they have very sort of short runs. Everything goes down machinery. It's a different mindset. Whereas I'm like, I don't want to do that. We're all chefs. We're chef-led. Every single one of our departments is, he is he headed up by a chef. Um, my head of food is a chef. You know, we wanted to do things differently, and I proved that you can make. I mean, we make 100,000 products this week. You know, you can make that predominantly by hand, and you can have the quality. You might have to pay a bit more money for it, mm. but the results and the the you know the success it's going to bring you is going to be miles ahead of of what you could could be doing with another company. Mm. So that's what set us apart, and that's what we that's our DNA really is to just say you know we can we can bring chefs and we can make you products to your own specifications in volume and we can deliver it every match day or event or whatever it might be um and we just we've just got a very good name for that so pre-covid was going really well it's all going in the right direction we've moved from our 1100 little tiny square foot unit where we started 13 years ago into about 7,000 square foot um, building opposite so we've grown we had 25 people, it was going really well, um, settled down, making profit, everything was great. And then COVID hit. 
and uh, we were like, okay, um, 24 hours of complete shock. Um, as a family, we were like, all of us were like in shock. Um, we'd started the bones of a platform of a um, website and we always intended selling online direct to customers, but we'd never really got it off the ground. And of course, overnight, everything shut. So all of our, all of our entire business was gone, literally. I mean, I think we were playing Arsenal that weekend. Um, we delivered the pies, but we still had other companies that wouldn't take theirs. So I remember really poor during COVID, but I remember uh, the club putting a big outpouring, the Argus getting involved, and um, uh, the big sort of mention of Piglets have got stock, we need to try and help them get rid of this stock. And I remember a queue around the block, literally at Piglets Pantry, and we had, we didn't have like, we had to, we had to set up a till, because we didn't have one. Um, we had to kind of connect it all up, and we're selling our products literally in boxes, which we didn't really have, because we weren't really set up for a bit, you know, kind of like direct-to-consumer market. And we were just giving, you know, people were coming. I mean, you know, uh, Paul Camlin, bless him, came down, you know, and the, the, the guys from Brighton were amazing. They came down and bought product just to try and get, you know, get us out of a hole. Uh, and then we returned the favour and tried to start selling their pies and we were bringing them back from the stadium <laughs> to try. It's a bit of a, it was a just a just community effort, you know. Oh, I but that. I am, n again, goosebump moment. I have... I knew how much the fans cared about us, but I didn't realise they, they were going to do that. And I think the more I spend with Brighton Have Albion, the community of Brighton Have Albion, the more humble I feel because you just, I just had no idea how much they loved us. Um, so there was that kind of thinking. And then you've whilst that was. That, right? You've created yeah. that cut. Like, look, you said on me to everyone has a story, right? Yeah. And something so magical about your story. But based around the community, and we had Dick Knight on recently, and the episode's coming out soon, um, talking about the, the club as a whole, and mm. there's that community feel, mm. and actually that then then buying into you and your story and believing in that. But then because of that, you've created a culture, I'm assuming, within Piglets, but not just the staff and the people that work with you, and the chefs and the clients, and that, but actually the people that eat by the pies and, mm. the, and the, the fans and everyone there that you've created this culture people want to be part of that and that's something that's something magical that you've created within within Brighton itself I guess and the whole way I, I'm so passionate about the community here as a whole is fantastic and the club seems is a big part of that I guess but just what an incredible testament to you and, and, cult, and I guess that culture was that something you was mindful of from the start or was that something that just grew organically and you built Yeah, up? I mean, yes, yes and no. Yes, because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I like helping people and there's no secret that my team um, uh, would, would agree with that in terms of how we, we behave and the people we employ. Um, but um, I think it, it's orga mostly organic. These things happen. I mean, I've just come back from three Europa trips. I have four tickets at Heineken <laughs> Lounge. I am a massive, massive fan <laughs> of Brighton Have Albion now. Uh, it's, it, it gets in your skin and it gets under your skin. You know, you just it just creeps up on you. And I think that's the thing. You know, once you get into this 
this community feeling and and it, it was definitely a community stadium i can hand on heart yeah, vouch yeah, for yeah, that yeah, yeah. um it, it's you you work together you become one team really i mean you know you're all there together you you want them to do well they've done amazingly well but such a successful story for them too um but you know we've all done well too off the back of that you know we're all successful here and we're all in it together to you know, and it does sound, I know it sounds, it sounds like cliche, but it is true. Um, in this particular instance, it's an unusual story that's just kind of blossomed and grown. And we are all part of the, the same kind of like future in that sense. Um, but I mean, I knew during COVID that pies and sausage rolls selling from the back door probably wasn't going to sustain our <laughs> business, <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough. Um, and quite early on, um, we sat down and I, we, we designed, I think we designed some Easter hampers um, for the first, it was coming up to Easter and we sold out immediately. Everyone bought them locally and they were just gone and we'd got our platform sorted and I just had this kind of um, feeling that actually maybe afternoon teas might be something people quite like to cheer them up. And it was just a, just a thought, you know, as you do, my other midnight thoughts that I have. <laughs> um, and I sat down and um, uh, there was three things that happened. So I sat down, designed the products with my team, and we came up with some ideas and what we thought would, would make an excellent afternoon tea. I dug out some old recipes. We did used to do cakes back then, but not in the volumes we do them today. Mm. Um, my old carrot cake recipe that everyone loves in afternoon tea I've had that since I was 16 years old so we resurrected some old recipes we did some so from from the heart baking really mm. it was it was really just to try and reach out and say to everybody look it's going to be alright you know let's just cheer each other up let's send parcels around the country and make everyone smile and that was my intention and then Lara um, uh, my stepdaughter she was like can I take the Instagram account and do something with it and I had like 100 followers not a Scooby-Doo, what I was doing <laughs> with Instagram. <laughs> Got to be honest, not my not my thing. Twitter, yeah, all about that. Facebook, yeah, not so bad. But Instagram, not a clue. So she took that, and she was living her best life. Um, you know, she, bless her, 18 lockdown, pretty crap. Couldn't go to university, you know. So um, she reached out to all of the Love Island, Made in Chelsea, Vicky Patterson, and everyone said yes, because they're all sitting at home nothing to do like the rest of us mm -hmm. so laura was running around the country with these afternoon teas going into ha outside homes obviously not allowed to go into homes but dropping them off taking photographs meeting all her <laughs> kind of <laughs> the people that she watches and loves and every and some of them are now really good friends you know she's met them a few times and she's taken that instagram account from 100 followers to i think we're over sixty-two thousand followers now something yeah, like that yeah. um and it just went ballistic um at the same time I was having challenges with the packaging because if you know couriers are not great at delivering I didn't know this and I remember my feeling of absolute devastation when I had two boxes damaged let alone when they nearly 50% of the Father's Day ones got damaged so Steve went out and at the same time delivered and found packaging and inserts and the beautiful packaging you see to tell the pink boxes that were synonymous for that was Steve's baby so he built me something that would protect the products that Lara was selling and you know Grant and the team downstairs delivered it and we sold 100,000 afternoon teas standing start no no budget no marketing no plan three million turnover in the first year of COVID um, <laughs> completely by accident I want to say because it really was that it was just us sitting down 
mooching around thinking what can we do you know we, we can't just sit here and take the sign down we're going to have to do something it's going on for longer than we anticipated you know what are we going to do about that um so out of covid we then had to decide what we wanted to do with the rest of our future because we had this beautiful brand new shiny afternoon tea online cakes online service and we had our old business of pies sausage rolls and staples for wholesaling and and, and stadiums so and not enough room pack, packaging takes up so much room i had no idea mm. how much you have to have space wise for that so we took a twenty-eight thousand square foot space <laughs> during covid um which was a good idea and a bad idea because i didn't really offload the other one till this year so that wasn't so smart um complete blind faith of the fact it would be fine um you know it's, it's going to be okay that's the thing that i'm listening like just at every stage really challenges whatever at every stage just that i talk about sometimes on here naivety in business and actually it's a bit of a superpower like because if you look at certain things you go oh could i do that would i do that maybe and you, you, th- you can weigh up so much that you just go oh no i won't do that. that's going to be really tough whereas if you look at certain things sometimes that bit of night but let's just give this a go and see what happens and actually <laughs> hundred thousand <laughs> afternoon teas <laughs> in a short space of time like just do, do you look at that like as a bit of a superpower like that not that God. just and just that fact that it's just like you said that that blind belief that oh, it's going to be all right i'm just going to do it it's going to be all right. yeah i think you're just so far it, when you're in it and you're invested in it and you you know your idea blossoms well more than blossoms i mean i think i had a nervous breakdown at one point with lara's massive marketing push i was yeah. like i haven't got enough staff to deliver this i mean <laughs> like i'm i'm making this product and trying to deliver this product and not enough people um we went from 25 people to 100 um literally almost overnight um and that was challenging but mm. and there's been times where i'm like oh god that's such such almost ridiculous growth you know you can't do that very quickly without breaking a few eggs unfortunately Mm. it it, it takes time to fill in the gaps and it's the same feeling as when I went from a hundred products to ten thousand pies exactly Mm. the same feeling you know it it was identical Mm. and I was like well that worked we'll get through it we may we may have some challenges but we'll get through it and we will succeed there's no doubt in my mind that we won't succeed we will just have to figure out a few things along the way and some challenges and changes and people and all of the things that go to making a much bigger business um but no doubt in my mind that it will be successful and i think it's um single-minded stupidity probably (laughs) who knows um that that doesn't let me falter i just you know and and you know family wise we all agreed on it it wasn't just my mm-hmm. decision because you know steve co- co-directs with me now and it was like well you can and, it, and at each stage he said to me when we went to the seven thousand square foot building he went to me right you've got two choices you understand as you are do a really successful small business or you can take on all these other contracts and you can go to the next stage and this is the same thing you can either keep the b2c and do the online projects and keep it smaller for the wholesale coming back or you can go into the twenty-eight thousand square foot building and we'll fill it those are your choices and at no point has there ever been any doubt in my mind of I'm always going to choose that next stage and I don't know I can't can't, yeah I I don't know why it's just I don't know I mean there's a lot of people to feed out there people need this good product (laughs) you know so there's that Um, there's that and uh, there's I love I love the people that work for me and we've built a whole new patisserie team they're amazing Um, 
I just, yeah, I love, I love what I do. I love, I, for the love, of, I love what I do. Mm. I love getting up every morning. I love creating new products. I love having a brief that comes on my door that nobody else can do, and we achieve it. Um, it's certainly not for the money. Absolutely not. So it is all about, you know giving somebody it's so lovely when you get a client that comes in and says we never thought we could have that and we've achieved that you know our team have achieved that they're amazing that they've come up with that idea or they've done something that's different they've looked at it in a different way and they've delivered something that nobody else can do and I think that's why we do it I suppose there's not one thing though there's not like there's a secret mm. it's just it just is it just is what it is just want to just just looking at it from we go back to that tenth of October and that period, and then you go stress over work and all that, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. we started this business that <laughs> ballooned into something. Yeah, my mum's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference, I guess, between where how you got to that place? And then arguably a lot more stress and pressure mm -hmm. that you're yeah. under now and they have been over the last 13 years. That able to maintain where you are now and your mindset and, and not go back to that place. But, but is it because, I don't want to put words in you, but is it because you found your calling and your destiny and that or, or because you've been through that? What do you think? It's because there's... 33,000 fans to feed on Thursday that are coming to the Marseille game and I've got to work out how to how to do something different for the French that are coming along and um, you know Croc Monsieur's might be on the menu at Northstand this week so uh, it is because I need to make a special recipe muffin for somebody who needs it delivering that can't get it from anywhere else and it's because potentially somebody very famous and uh, may need a special sausage roll next year. Um, those are the reasons why I get up in the morning and those are the reasons why it works and what makes it worth all the stress. Um, there's always stress in business. There's as much stress as you want to take or as little as you want to take. And yes, some days are difficult and some days are hard. Um, some days me and Steve hug each other and go, it'll be all right. We've just got to get through this period and then we'll be on to the next thing. But there is always another thing. And I think the most important thing to remember when you run your own business or if you're starting out certainly and you're thinking, God, yeah, this is just mad. Um, there will always be that stress and there will always be a set of problems that need solving and there will always be sometimes what feels like an insurmountable mountain to climb to achieve some of them. But if you take one step and you ask for help and the business community is brilliant at that, um, there's usually people that want to come and help you and want to come on your journey with you and have some ideas and and will help you get to that next stage, whatever that might be, whether it's you know finding premises or funding or whatever it might be there are always stresses involved in in business it's just tacking them breaking them down getting good people around you to help you we've got an amazing team we've built a really good management team now um it's taken us two or three years to get there in the new building but we now have a strong management team that lives and breathes piglets that run pink all the way through i would say um <laughs> and they are the next they're, they're taking the next level of history, the next level of our story out to people. 
and I'm proud of that. I'm proud that you know we can hand it over too because it's you know it's grown now. We we can't do it all ourselves anymore. We need those those advocates to kind of take it on the next journey for us, really. So. Yeah, I mean, it's stress, but it's different stress. And I can't explain that because my mum doesn't understand that mm. either. Um, she worries that it's too big, it's too much. Um, and I have my family to remind me of that. So mm. that's also good because, you know, you don't, whilst you know, they don't, they're not holding me back by any means. They're massively proud of what we've achieved. And now my brother and my family are amazingly supportive. But equally, they check in and go, are you okay? Mm. Are you keeping yourself uh, well, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you doing all the normal stuff? And that's, you know, that's that's good because yeah. you do need to be reminded of that. This is Geo. Geo runs a scarf company. Geo doesn't see the need for telecoms. Everybody uses mobiles now. But can a mobile really be a business phone? Geo is having coffee with a client, Gabby. Well, actually, Geo prefers acacia leaf tea. But what happens when someone calls? It could be a big new deal. Surely it would be rude to take the call? But many people hate leaving messages. They may just call a competitor instead. What can Geo do? The answer is simple. Turn the mobile into a business phone. With the GoGiraffe app, Geo can quickly transfer the call. Or before the meeting, Geo can simply use the app to divert calls. No more missed calls, lost deals or unhappy customers. Turn your mobile into a business phone today. Go giraffe. Oh, it's so, so incredible. I think, looking back at any of those stresses and strains, I think I'm probably going to know the answer to this. But has there ever been a point where you've just gone, and that seed of doubt's gone in, you go, that is one step too far. Don't. Maybe, maybe it's time to call it a day. Look at the COVID, that initial shock of that 24 hours. Was there ever, has there ever been a point? There are points, yeah. yeah. I think there are points sometimes where it feels, the, the mountain feels a bit too high or mm. the problem is a bit too difficult sometimes. Um, and you just have to take yourself out of it and just walk away for it for a little while and sit down. Are you down good at doing that? No, no my, my partner will tell you I'm rubbish at that. I am very good at ruminating and, uh, and stressing and staying up late and worrying about it. But my family are very good at stopping me from doing that. So you have to have a good network around you, good friendships, good people that have all been through that with me and they know me very well. Yeah. Um, people that I can ring up and say, I need a night out. I need to go and do something. I need to get away from this for a while. Mm. I need just some time out. Um, so yes, I mean we d we do that. We regularly try and fit in, you know, trips. And I mean, I think the football's been amazing this year because it's meant I had to go on more <laughs> shorter <laughs> trips, which in some ways has been quite nice. And uh, Grant and I have been on on a few together on our own. Um, so it's been nice to reconnect with him because mostly we talk about food at work and <laughs> you know what work's doing. And he has stresses and I have my stresses. But it was nice to just have some time out just to be just to be really just mm. to be a mum and a son just going on. A European football trip living the dream so I think it's important to kind of fit those bits in mm. um, it's not always easy to do that and it's not always easy to see when you're you've gone too far sometimes you know you sell too close to the sun and you get yourself burnt but um, because I know what that looks like I know I can't get too far to the sun I have to there's got to be some measures and some implementation in place where I can just take stock stop and go right 
that's too far today. I need to do something else today. I need to give that to someone else to worry about for a while and I need to mm. walk away for a bit. So good, I guess, that, like you said, a couple of things there. One, that you recognise it yourself mm. a little bit, but two, that you've got a, obviously what sounds like, like an incredible supportive network mm. around you, whether that be family, friends, colleagues, the business community. And and I guess the, the a strong message that coming out again, not, not being frightened to ask for help. Yes. I guess that's the... That's the biggest thing. Yeah. The biggest thing... pride gets in place sometimes. Pride comes it? before reform, my nan used to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true, it does. Um, it's not always easy. When I, when I had my breakdown, I didn't know I was ill. Um, I didn't recognise it. I'd gone too far over the cliff in terms of even knowing what day it was, let alone whether I was, you know, feeding myself, not feeding myself. I just was mm. too broken. Um, other people around me could see it. My mum, my family all came down, looked after me. My brother was amazing. Um, I owned my life. <laughs> so that was hard. Mm. It was hard. Um, but when, you, um, when you've when you kind of gone through that piece, it's, um, it's important to put measures in place and give yourself the pink box and open it up and have the hot chocolate, eat the cake, walk the walk, do something else, you know, just just do things that make you feel good and that are basic basic requirements are usually the best things you know the the walking along the ocean it's free it's probably the best gift I think my mum walked me along the beach every day for a month after I came out of hospital and that was my my healing time that was me getting better um and I love the sea so you know yeah, I'm so it's my happy place right? it is my happy place too mm, it's, uh, I kind of meant like obviously I've only been down this since what 2012 we moved down can't imagine not living here, no. not seeing the sea. Two years, I, two and a half years, I lived away in Lancashire, and I missed it every day, every yeah. single day. I mean, I'm a diver as well, so oh, wow. you know, the sea is my passion from that yeah. point of view. Um, but yeah, I I think there's a lot to be said for nature, and nature and nurture is very mm. true. You know, it's uh, mm. it's again another cliche perhaps, but getting out in nature, you know a half an hour of walk or whatever it, you can feel a different person mm. when you come back so um i think it's important to do stuff like that and and, and sticking with that a little bit but looking at like the this work-life balance scenario what does what does that look like for you is it is it got easier as you've gone on has it got harder because of how you've grown or, or with, with the company what, what's your you obviously are mindful of taking that mm. bit of time, not allowing yourself to go too far that way. But what is it like? Talk to me about work-life balance for you. Um, easier, yes, in some ways, because we have a management team now, so they take the the cushion of mm. the kind of like day-to-day -day inquiries, problems, whatever may come into the door um so some some cases yes but then as you grow there are different challenges obviously both financial and other things you have to think about every day so that adds a different dimension that i've got more involved with that i didn't get as involved with before mm. um so i think um yes and no so you can i can go to the gym now whereas when we were 25 people i was probably still going at six o'clock in the morning making product mm. um 
I don't do that. So I'm, I'm still in, I'm still in and around the kitchen. I'm still developing products with the team. I still go in every Christmas and every time they get really busy, I'll be down there front front line, you know, helping. I was here Saturday helping making gingerbread trees. <laughs> Three thousand gingerbread trees Saturday morning and a load of caramel. Yeah. I had the, the 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 job of making all the caramel for the caramel stars. That was fun. Um, we're still in there, but it's. Um, it's definitely easier to take the time now mm. more so than it was when I was a lot smaller mm. because there's more people to, to take the brunt of the, the strain. But with that, you then lose a little bit of your kind of um, control over it, I suppose. And you have to trust the people that you're bringing in to make sure that they deliver that behind you. And that is disconcerting sometimes, you know, mm. that kind of feeling of I don't quite know whether everything's being done how I want it to be done or but you know I trust the team and we do you know they know me well and they know obviously what I, I need and what I want to deliver and we talk a lot and we communicate well um, so yeah I think um, in some ways it's easier to take time um, Steve and I don't seem to take many holidays so <laughs> having said that we don't we don't get as many in as we perhaps should we certainly don't use up our full quota but um, I think uh, we do have fun though I mean there's lots of fun to be had both in the charity work that we do and yeah. you know we support table talk and which is obviously a, another f massive food kind of compliment for me um all of the kind of that community is nice because yeah, you get chance to I go know, out rocking obviously horse close yeah yeah yep. i know you've always yep. been massive supporters of them which you know I'm yeah really all of that for. yeah especially during covid yeah. um yeah all of that is great it's nourishing in a different way so mm. you're going out and helping others but at the same time you do get to have a bit of fun let's be honest when we go out it's nice to see everybody so there's that side and i think that's all kind of fits in it all complements itself really so if mm. you have a bit of you know you have a little bit of charity work and you can go out for lunches and do bits like that and gym and everything else mm. and friends you know before you know it yeah. you have something resembling a social life. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know we talked a little bit briefly uh, offline as well and i'd like to just touch on this for the listeners well i know you mentioned them out um what it's like at home as a family business mm. when you're at home how do you how are you able to go let's not talk about work <laughs> oh my children tell you i'm not very good at that <laughs> i'm absolutely rubbish at it so when they were all living at home we had a policy where you no phones at the table was always mm. a thing and uh, no talking about work of which um you know there's forfeits to be had if you did so steve and i are, are really not particularly great at leaving work at work and not bringing it home uh now there's just lara's come back from university and the both both the boys have left home now and they're they're living away it's a lot harder for us to kind of put that demarcation line in place because the children definitely kept us on track with that um but we do we do try we are trying we try to have <laughs> like a time <laughs> that we stop talking <laughs> and then something could creep in it's it's, it's really hard to do because you'll talk about something and then that lead on something else and before you know it, it's midnight and you're like still talking about work um, when it's so your passion, because like, you can listen, it just this conversation you can tell that it just oozes out of you. Right? Yeah. I just listen to you talk, and yeah. you can see like your face lights up at mm. every stage and all the things that's gone on. And all. so, people talk about I've mentioned this on here a couple of times. A good friend of mine, Bob Starr from the Star Trust, you might know, but he, he, he talked about it in a really great way about work life balance. And he says, You know what, this is my life, and he says, I've got works in there and you know he swims every day in the sea and that's in there and you know my writing and all them bits and then family and all the, everything's part of that life so i'll put my work life balance perfect because sometimes 
because I love my work and I love what I do, and he loves the Star Trust and that, that element of it, he goes, that's a big part of it. So that's just some days that takes more of my time than other stuff. But that's okay because it's all just part of this one bubble. So there's in, I think there's something, you know, where people go, oh, you know, work-life balance has got to be, I can't work nine to five and then I'll come home and I'm going to switch off and not think about that. When you've got your own business, there isn't a nine to five, so you can't really do that. So it's just being able to go, when you love what you do, it's okay to, isn't it? It's okay to, I'm, I'm aware, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm aware that we've got to take them times out and we've really highlighted that today, mm. as you mentioned, um, yeah. gratefully sharing your story. So it's so important to take that time, go really get that and being able to switch off. But with the same token to that, when you love what you do and you're yeah. so passionate about it, it's okay to let them bits creep in maybe and there be an overlap, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm sure my teams don't like it when I go away though and send loads of photographs of bakeries and products that I've seen and have, what about this and what about that? And I spam all the WhatsApp groups and everyone's going, oh God, she's on holiday, God help us all. Um, I, I live and breathe work. I yeah. am a workaholic. I'm a certified workaholic. Um, there is no getting away from that. My family, um, everyone has their vices. Mine happens to be work. Mm. Um, and so I'm not advocating that that's for everybody. Mm. And you are right. My work is part of who I am. It's part of what I do. It's part of why I get up in the morning. Um, it's not the entirety because there's lots of other stuff in there. You know, there's the diving, the holidays, the, you know, the football now it takes over more, more of my life than mm. anything else, it feels like. Yeah. Um, th- there's a fabric, and it, but it's all rolled into one because it's, it's all interconnected mm. because, you know, the travel brings ideas, brings it back to mm. the food, and then we try new things and we come up with new ideas, and then it all kind of rolls back into one again. So it's like a... Yeah, it's like a big messy ball, really. Mm. Um, you know, you throw a few things in there. Sometimes, you know, too much goes to one side and you have to bring it back into centre again. But ultimately, if you love what you do, mm. which I do, then it's it's fine as long as you're keeping yourself in check. You know, if you're having fun then and you're enjoying what you do, then it's, it's not a problem. I think how much work is too much work is different for everybody. Mm. And... Um, some days it's you know it's too much for me and I say it's too much for me but I'm very good at telling people now which I never used to be very good at and other days I can work and time's flown and I'm fine with that you mm. know I was down at Portsmouth last night and you know it was I was there from 7.30 till well I got home about half 10 last night mm. don't think I had a break I had a couple cup, cups of coffee and that was my day but it was amazing I had a great day we created some amazing food we had a lot of fun um, I spoke to lots of fans, they enjoyed themselves, um, you know, it was great, it, yeah. it was a great day, but is that too much work? I mean, it would be for some people, but for me, no. And I guess, again, the, the message there is for anyone starting on their entrepreneurial journey or people that are 10 years in or whatever, like me, trying to, the key, and what I've heard you say a couple of times, the key is to enjoy that, right? enjoy yeah. that, got to enjoy that <coughs> journey, even, even even those tuckers. I, I spoke to the one episode that came out recently with, with Ian Fletcher Plus, and he, he actually was quite honest about it. He went, you know what, those early days, I, I don't think I did enjoy it that much. Like, you're worrying about money yeah. all the time, and yeah. financial, you know, when, when you're not driven by money necessarily. It is the hardest it, part, it, yeah. It's the hard, it's still that hard part, isn't it? Because you're, where am I going to pay that next bill? And that's what keeps you up at night, and that's yeah. a struggle, isn't it? So it's trying to, trying to, I guess take yourself out of that and just remember why you're doing what you're doing and believe that 
as you've alluded to, believe that you're gonna, what you're doing is the right thing and you will get through it and it will be all right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, fin financial worries are always a hot, they're, they're part of the heart of any business really mm. and especially as you grow as fast as we have you know we we definitely grow too quickly we definitely take on too much mm. and that can cause financial problems um i've had some great support along the way you know i have uh, i do have great support along the way from different financial companies uh, but nonetheless it is stressful and it's mm. probably the least favorite part of my world <laughs> if i'm yeah. honest you, um it's a necessity that keeps us all moving that we have to kind of deal with um but i think it's just you just what gets you through that then what the, like when you are when it is like robin peter to paper or wherever yeah. you are and that what what tools do you use or how do you what's your coping mechanisms for that um talking to different people discussing ideas you know local community is good for that as well networking we've got a lot of support in our mm. local networking groups um i've used the same financial advisor and support that i've had for the last 13 years who's got me through some amazing times <laughs> you know <laughs> sometimes yes it's sometimes it's a no and then you move on but there's always suggestions and mm. i think you know i suspect the next part of our journey may include having to look at investment because we've done a lot in our 13 years yeah, yeah, but sure. twenty-eight thousand square foot and you know contracts coming in that are in the millions now it gets to a point where you have to recognize that and go okay what what's next for piglets what do that mm. what does piglets need next and i think what we've done very well steve and i is we always say piglets is over there because when we were in the early days it was oh it's piglets, piglets 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 and now when we're talking we say piglets is there what does piglets need and what do we need and we've started okay. talking like that now. So now we're a much bigger company. It's like, yeah, well, that's what Piglets needs. That's what we think about Piglets rather than, oh, you've done this and you haven't done that and I don't agree with you. And, you know, <laughs> so we've tried to take it down a little notch um, and just gone, right, okay, well, Piglets is over there. This is what we both believe, but this is what Piglets needs. So we'll do what Piglets needs, not what we both think, and then we try and put it in a third party. It's a difficult thing to do, but if you can keep that kind of perspective... Mm. It is, you know, it's it's its own entity now. It it has grown. Yeah. It's you know, it's a massive brand now. Um, we're across, God knows how many households in the UK. Um, we have eight hundred businesses that are buying from us. Iconic venues, all sorts of people that buy from us. I, I even I am surprised that sometimes, you know, how many people have tried a product and where they've <laughs> tried it. I have trouble keeping track these days. So, and sometimes people are surprised that they've had a product because it doesn't necessarily say piglets on mm. it because people are buying, you know, through us and want their own brand to shine through. So, um, it, it, it's grown. It's its own little beast now. Yeah, um, sure. It's a teenager. It's a rowdy teenager. <laughs> you know, it's definitely grown up. And as it grows into adulthood, we need to recognise we might need some help to get to that next stage. And mm. you know, that's our. That will next be something we have to look at. Before we come to what was the final question, it was something I did want to touch on briefly about. And I know we mentioned we had a chat recently when we was at a lunch about it and about about making mistakes about failure and your relationship with that i guess just share a little bit about that i'm keen to for you to share that with the listeners your relationship with failure and our, the culture within the company empowering people to maybe make mistakes yeah i mean there is um there is no to a point there's no there's no kind of like recompense for failure in our business mm. you know things go wrong people make mistakes we're all human um obviously we have to adjust and figure out why we got to the, the failure in the first place but personally failure for me is an opportunity every time you fail it's an opportunity to figure out 
how you could do something better or different the next time and every time you fail it gives you sometimes it gives you an opportunity to go well I probably shouldn't have been doing that in the first place so sometimes you, you need to look at failure as not as the the big black doom and gloom that people think it is and and trust me I've failed a few times in my life so I know <laughs> a thing or two about failure um, so I think you know I don't see failure as a pessimistic thing which mm. might sound a bit odd but I see failure as like so if you make if you've made something and it didn't work or you put it out there or you made a decision and you know last year was volatile with all the food price increases up and down you know you make a decision we made a decision to grow a whole patisserie team um and we missed some things out and we you know made some mistakes and we had to kind of think about that and bring it all back and start again in some ways not start again but actually put the foundations in place um that could be seen as failure, but for me, it's an opportunity to actually fix a problem and make it better and more beautiful than it was in the first place. So I think see failure as a stepping stone to the success you're going to be would be my advice. love that because it's, it's so much, like as you alluded to, it's so much about just reframing it, right? Yeah. It's just how you reframe it. Like, like you said, people narrative around failure is just this big black hole. Yeah. You don't want to talk about it because I don't know. I've been seen as a failure. You don't want to talk about that. Whereas if you can reframe it slightly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think people see it as this kind of, you know, just something to be avoided at all costs. Mm. But actually, when you fail, you grow as a person. You yeah. know, you learn something about yourself. You learn something about your really environment, the world you're in. You learn maybe actually that failure was the right thing for you at the time. You know, whether that's, mm. you know, failing in business and. Um, trust me I've nearly been down that road too um, but when we went to the brink of kind of losing everything we learned something and we did something and we pivoted and we did something new look at COVID you know it gives you opportunity failure gives you opportunity gives you opportunity and perspective to actually look at whether you should be doing that or whether you should be doing something different and sometimes we don't look up we don't look up we don't look around uh, we're too busy like like this, you know, beavering away, making those 10,000 fives of right. And we don't look up and go, oh, there's a whole new world out there. Look at how pretty that one can look. You know, look how beautiful our afternoon teas are. Um, it gives you perspective to look around and see things from a different viewpoint, different lens. And I think um, I have learned that from 13 years of being at Piglets, that failure can sometimes give you the perspective you need to do something more beautiful than you do in the first place. If you could go back to any point in your journey of all that you've shared with me today and change it, what would it be and why? I wouldn't change anything because every part, even including my difficult, dark times, every part of me has made me the person I am today. So if you change one part of that, I might not have two beautiful children. If I change that part, I might not have you know, the ability to cook. I might not have gone into catering. I might not have become, if I didn't have my time when I was a child learning what I did for my grandparents, I wouldn't be who I am today. So oh, it's just easy to look back and go, well, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have got married or I wouldn't have made all those mistakes. But mistakes are what makes us who we are today. Without the mistakes, you wouldn't have the other side, which is the fun and the, the happy times and, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you that I would change anything. I would love to say I wouldn't want to hand crimp 10,000 pies again. That would be one moment <laughs> that would definitely be up there. But um, without those 10,000 pies, we wouldn't be in Brighton Albion today making what we do and making the journey possible. So I, 
you can't change anything. It's impossible. Yeah. You could go back in a time machine and change some stuff, but everything would look different, wouldn't it? Everything yeah. would be different. Everything would be different. You might not even have piglets anymore because you'd have made a change and have, have, you'd have broken a piece and then the future would look different. So I'm a great believer in always look forward. You're not heading in that direction. You're heading in this one. So, um, uh, yeah, a quote from my, my other half who is very much an optimist. Look in that direction. That's where we're going. You know, that's gone. We can't change that. We just could only change the future. Brilliant. Look, this is our last life in 60 seconds and probably the essence of obviously the podcast and what I'm trying to define or work out and with your incredible story where you've been where you are where you're going how do you define success god i try not to think about that really um it just happens you know it's just something that happens along the way when you're having fun really um success is something you that happens to you when you're having fun um how do i define it i suppose um, I think piglets are on about to be on land, sea and air that's a pretty defining moment for me that's pretty special that you know we've gone that far that we're actually now looking almost globally which is a little bit of a scary thought um, but yeah I mean success is about building something beautiful having I, I love the people I, w I work with that work with me um, I'm inspired by the 100 people that work at piglets every day and I think they make me very proud and I'm very proud of, of their journey as much as I am proud of our journey and it's symbiotic because you do well, everyone does well and that's important to me. Um, I, want my, I want the people that work for me to, to get to their end destination whether that's with, with me for six months, six years, whatever it might be. Everyone has a destination and as long as they're on their journey they're enjoying it whilst they're there and they're getting to their end destination then that's what success looks like. Love, I love the the opening part of that. That success is having fun. Yeah. That's so great. And that, like, because you mentioned there actually about destination is so much of us that we actually we go. I'm going to be successful when I get in, and there's going to be a destination point. And when you get to that point, that's when I can be happy, or that's when I. But as you just alluded, if, if if success is having fun and and enjoying that journey, it's not necessarily then about going to that destination. I don't know what the destination is. Exactly. I'm still on the journey. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the brilliant thing about it, isn't it? That's, and that's what real success is, isn't it? Sure. For me, I guess. Because like, yeah. there's so many people I've spoke to that maybe have reached a destination, sold a business and gone out. And that's, that's not joy and happiness there. It's no. because it's the the process to get there and uh, yeah and as I mentioned before I'm not motivated by money mm. um, as my family will tell you I'm living in a derelict house currently that I am trying to work out how to renovate <laughs> so <laughs> definitely not one of those people um, but again that's you know it, it is it's about even our personal lives where we have that going on at the moment the end the end the end kind of destination is is whatever it will be mm. I mean it's the journey we're going on to get there and the journey that we're going on with piglets at the moment um, I'm just worried about getting through Christmas. I don't know about <laughs> over there, you know, that's over there. So you're you're a, not a five-year plan. away. 
No, people ask me that. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> come out of COVID, let's go and buy a 28,000 square foot building. Most people don't do that, do they, Sam? <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm definitely not a five-year plan kind of girl. Um, I, I did at one point, and I haven't done this in a while, but I used to write um, a business plan um, for the month. And I'd have a business plan for the month, and we'd have key things on there that we want to do. And I'm going to try and get back to it in January because I've been hugely busy with the, mm. you know, the current growth. Um, but we used to write down, and it'd just be thoughts of, you know, this is what we want to do in January, and this is the the obstacles we might have in our way. These are the things we need to tackle. These are our challenges, and we'd pin it up on the wall in the staff room so everyone could see it, so everyone knew what January was about. And I think that's, you know, business plans for five years. How could you write? I mean, how could yeah. I have written the last five years? Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I well, thought... Would you not have had global pandemic in there? I thought I'd have a global <laughs> pandemic in there. Then I thought I'd have, a, you know, the Ukraine war and um, ridiculous prices that nobody could actually sustain and hopefully survive that. And then, by the way, in the middle of all that, I thought I'd go and, you know, get a four and a half times the building that I've currently got. By the way, still keeping the old one. Grow from 25 to 100. I mean, you can't plan for that, can you? I can plan for January. I might just <laughs> do January. Yeah, January yeah. seems like achievable. <laughs> <laughs> January seems like somewhere where I might want to be. And then we'll worry about February and March and, and we'll go from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know people do. And in all seriousness, you know, yes, of course, we do have to have some structure. Yeah, this yeah. is why I have a management team now because everyone else <laughs> is much more sensible than me. Um, so we now have a, a proper board and proper people to keep me grounded and tell me what I need to do. And, and I participate in those meetings. <laughs> but in my head I'm still just worried about January <laughs> and I'm worrying about Feb uh, Valentine's products and Mother's Day products and what can we can create next that's what I'm worrying about at the moment but yes and um, and I have everyone else to kind of tell me what to do in between to keep me where I'm supposed to be yeah. last one what's the future hold then the piglets uh, future of piglets so I mentioned I alluded to the fact we are uh, we're now in um, British Airways lounges um, mm -hmm. And that's been real, really wonderful uh, new piece of business that we're starting in the new year. Uh, nine new lines going in there, which is amazing. Uh, we're pitching for some airline business. We are already on um, MSC Cruises, DFDS, uh, going across the channel. Um, I'm looking at uh, exporting for the first time. So that's something I want to look at. I'm quite excited about that because I think it's gone really well. And the, mm. the kind of just even just going on and doing a bit, of, I did some tasting with my head of sales on one of the ships. And, you know, the French are very picky people. They want to know exactly <laughs> what all the ingredients are in their products, but it was well received. So I think I've um, kind of just broadening our horizons a little bit and thinking, mm. actually, let's not just sort of stick to the UK. We seem to be doing quite well here. Um, let's look at other, other, other possibilities, other avenues. So there's definitely a, a feeling of expansion of like ideas and nothing's sort of impossible in that sense. So we're all exploring different ideas that we think might be the next part of our journey. Um, me personally, I want to take some time at some point to write a book and it's going to be called Half a Jar of Jam and it harks back to when we were children and my mum was really struggling and um, she, she'd been left on her own and I remember very vividly having half a jar of jam in the fridge and having to walk to my grandparents' house to eat dinner and it will be about my journey and what's happened and hopefully we will raise some money for charity and help some more people. Wow, what an amazing book that will be. Just gotta find some time, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so honestly, uh, it's, it's 
feel so honoured to have these conversations. I'm, I feel very blessed and lucky to be in this position, I guess. But and almost admiring you a bit from afar. So although we've known each other over the yeah. years, never really yet been able to sit down and knew as much, obviously, as, as I've found out today. And I knew it would be an amazing episode, just purely on the fact of from afar watching what Piglets have achieved and how incredible it's been. But honestly, you've blown me away with just your openness, honesty, just an absolutely incredible journey that you was able to share with us. And oh, it's been such a fantastic episode. I'm honestly so humbled and grateful that you're able to come on and share with me so openly. So thank you so much. That's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for, for having me on. And I hope, um, hope, hopefully I've reached out to some people um, that maybe are also finding it difficult in life. Mm. And if that helps, then, then it's been worth a, worth a while. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Thank you, Joe. And that, as they say, is a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>